0: Welcome Hope family, friends, those of you who are joining us online. We're so glad you joined us and uh, I want to ask you a question as we begin uh, this weekend. Have you ever asked, have you ever wondered why doesn't God stop us before we make bad choices? You wish he did sometimes, right? You wish you could go back and you wish God would do that. But I'm not going to answer that question but Think about this as parents. Uh, what would you have these young young kids? They're growing up in your house, and the, all of a sudden they're doing the "I'm going to do something that I shouldn't do," and they give you the look. You know what I mean? It's like they just kind of getting ready to do it, and then they look back at you and they see your eyes, and you go "No, no, no!" or you go grab them or something like that. Right? They give you the look, and it's What they're saying is, I'm going to see if you're going to stop me look, right? So this is the look when you have your son is standing before a a pristine, beautiful white wall with a black magic marker, and they give you the look like, I'm going to draw on that wall. And you go, no, don't do that. Or when they're walking towards a busy street down the driveway, and they give you the look like, should I keep going, or are you going to stop me? And it would be cool i think sometimes if god was to intervene in our lives sometimes when we're about ready to make a really boneheaded decision or choice right it it those times where but here's what happens it's those times where i think as adults we grow up to the place where we we look down we 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 say i know i'm i know this isn't a good decision i know i should, shouldn't probably do this but I'm just not going to give the look to God. I'm just not going to look him, look at him, and you know, you wish God sometimes would put up a wall. You wish God would put you in the, the timeout room. You know, you wish God would just shut your mouth or do something to stop it. But He lets you go, right? That's kind of what happened with Jonah. Jonah, basically, you know the story um, very quickly, just to sum, summarize. God said, go to the wicked city of Nineveh. Jonah headed in the opposite direction. God sent a a storm. It swamped the boat. It it jeopardized the sailors on the boat. Finally, after trying to go to their gods, lightening the boat, they they finally came to a point where Jonah said, just throw me overboard. So so they do. And that's where we're going to pick up the text. Because Jonah's going to go overboard and thinking, I think in his own mind, this is it, I'm done, I'm gone. But God had a plan. And that's what we want to look at this week. And we're going to look at how God has always had and always does have a plan. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Jonah chapter 1, verse 15. And let's look at this passage together. We're at verse uh, 15 of chapter 1. Then the sailors took Jonah and they threw him overboard and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now, the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. not significant because Jesus is going to make a comment about that as far as his death, burial, and resurrection. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From, the, from deep in the realm of, of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled around me. All the waves and the breakers swept over me. He said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. Can you imagine that? Some of us don't even like to touch seaweed, let alone having it wrapped around us. It was just an awful place to be, probably. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath, beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought me my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. And notice what he says. This is almost in retrospect. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, notice what he says here. This is a, a key phrase here. He says, I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Joseph, excuse me, Jonah, onto dry land. So, I just want to make some quick observations of what we've just read. You'll notice if you were reading along in your Bible that it turns into a poetic format, liter- literary-wise. Liter- literary you see it kind of go into poetry. And that's really what this is. It's a song of praise by Jonah. It is a song where Uh, he's singing praise to God. Now, the moment that Jonah began to run from God, and this is very interesting, you see this progression in chapters 1 and 2. You see Jonah going down, going down, going down, going down, and going down until he can't go any deeper and further down until he gets into the belly of this great fish. So over and over and over, he's going down until he's in the belly of the great fish. And that really brings up the first principle here, that when you walk with God, your life will soar. But when you run from God, your, your life will sink. And you know what? This is absolutely true. And you know, friends, maybe in your own life you've experienced this. You cannot soar unless you're connected to your creator. But the, the opposite is true. And that is that when you walk away from your creator, your life will begin to sink. Now, another thing, and I mentioned this just a minute ago, Jesus referenced this point uh, of the story of Jonah. Because he says, as Jonah was in the whale uh, for three days and three nights, so also the son of man. And this is where he said that. And it's interesting where Jesus says it. He says it in Matthew chapter 12. You don't have this verse, but it's Matthew 12. And let me just read it to you. 12, starting at verse 38. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given ex- except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the huge fish, so the Son of Man, that's Jesus, will be three days and three nights into the, in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up in judgment at this generation and condemn it, for they have repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is standing here. So Jesus is essentially saying that there's a greater witness than Jonah standing right before you. And there's a greater miracle that's going to take place than Jonah. And yet, he says, you always ask for a sign, but really you don't want a sign. Uh, We could give you all these different signs. But he said, Jesus is saying, the greatest sign will be my own death, burial, and resurrection. All right, so let's jump into the application of this passage as we talk about it. First thing is this. In the middle of our rebellion, God offers his grace. Now, notice this, that Jonah recognized uh, that God was offering him deliverance. He thought he was dead. He thought he was done. But in the midst of his rebellion, God sends or prepares. It It literally says, God prepared a great fish, right? So in this psalm of praise, Jonah speaks of the grace of God. He says, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of dead, I called for help. And you listened to my cry. So here it is. Here's God in a very miraculous, strange way bringing uh, a rescue for, for Jonah. Let me ask you a question. Has God ever surprised you with his grace? I think that essentially if you could say, what is the essence of what Jonah was saying? He, Jonah would say, I was absolutely surprised. I was stunned by God's grace in my life. So I want to tell you a quick story from my life where God surprised me. I was a, We were a young married couple. Yes, there was a day where Carol and I, well, Carol's still young, but I'm not. Um, there was a day where we were younger. We had two kids, and ultimately I needed a job. And I thought the only job that I could make enough money with, a, you know, managing the hours of school and that, paying the bills, was uh, working at UPS. So I went down to UPS. I went through the first interview, did well, went to the second interview. Then, you know, they give the thing, well, we'll call you. Well, I'm just, you know, I'm waiting, 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 not getting a call, not getting a call. So I was in chapel uh, at seminary uh, one morning and uh, the uh, Dr. Fortosa said, uh, hey, they're hiring down at Roadway. Now, Roadway are those trucks you see down the highway roadway express and uh, I really didn't really want to work at roadway but I wanted I knew I needed a job so I went down there I had a bad attitude went through the interview and lo and behold I got a job working at roadway I was working there uh, so here's what my hours were I would go in Sunday night I'd be working uh, part-time in a church so I was working Sunday and then uh, Sunday night about 10 30 ish I would go into work I'd work from about 11 to about 6 in the morning and then I would drive back and go to my Hebrew class so my Hebrew is not really that great because I was very tired from working all night then I would go through my classes for the day I'd go to bed get up and go and do the same thing and I did that a couple nights in a row and then I would generally work one di- one uh, night uh, during the week that's what I did so that job paid me more than roadway it gave me less pressure because i talked to a number of my friends who were seminarians who went and were working at roadway and just talked about the pressure well there was pressure but i was kind of on my own and you know unloading trailers and getting them ready for the local distribution from the across the uh, country trailers uh one night, and by the way, it, when it was uh, zero degrees or 10 below, um, it was 10 below out on the dock. So you move fast, you dress warmly, and you, you sometimes could hardly write because it was so cold. But I remember one night, and it was cold. It was a winter night, and I was on the dock, and I was just like, man, I really like this job. It's, I feel like I'm getting something done. I feel like I'm getting exercise. It's paying the bills. This is a great job. And it was almost like I heard God say, oh, wait a minute, you want to say that one more time? <laughs> I go, yeah, I like this job, <laughs> you know? And it was one of those things where God was saying, so you thought you had to work at this uh, UPS, right? And I had a perfect job for you. I surprised you, and, and it, it hit me, it really hit me. I could still remember that moment where I was in the back of the trailer and I was, that I was unloading, and I was just saying to God, God, help me to remember this so I never forget that you were always going to take care of me and my family, but you're going to do it in ways that maybe I don't expect. And so that's the thing, that God ha- sometimes surprises us with unexpected grace. And you probably have a story or two that you could tell me about that But that's my story. And Jonah was saying from the belly of this great fish, God surprisingly saved me. He showed me grace. And it says in the text, God prepared a great fish. And and that's that's the story of God's grace, that he prepares things. He's got a plan. Now, in the midst of Jonah's rebellion, God offered him grace in the form of a great fish. Often, and and we're going to see, by the way, in chapter 4, God's going to provide him a leafy plant to give him shade, and so we'll see that. It's the same phrase, God provided, God provided, right? Here's the second point, though, we want to look at. We who have received his grace are called to extend it to others. Now, he uses this phrase in the text. He says, salvation belongs to the Lord. And really, that is, to me, the key theme of the whole Bible salvation belongs to the Lord Um, Jonah's trying and and interestingly enough Jonah can say that but I don't think he really gets that and I would say the same for me sometimes sometimes I can say salvation belongs to the Lord but my behavior my actions kind of contradict that my that I believe that now we talked a little bit about that last week where Jonah determined that uh, the people of Nineveh the city of Nineveh did not deserve God's grace or salvation They were too far gone they had done too many evil things Uh, so he felt justified in withholding god's grace Um, and when they repented we saw it in the text he became angry we'll see it we'll see it next week so so the question i want to ask just for a few minutes is how do we pervert how do we pervert god's grace How do we pervert God's grace? Because I think we do that with, and I don't know if we intentionally go to do it, but we do it. Now, let's look at how we do that, all right? A couple things. Number one, we turn God's grace into religious performance. I was raised in a tradition that taught me that if I believe the right things, if I follow the right rules and rituals and regulations, if I lived a good life, then I could earn my way into heaven. That's what I was taught. And, we, and what we have done, though, is we've turned God's grace from salvation to uh, his grace into I've earned it, I deserve it, I, you, know, you owe me. That's kind of what it comes down to. We've made God's gift of salvation my own salvation. We don't need a Savior. We are the Savior. That's kind of what we do with God's grace. So that's one of the ways that I think we pervert God's salvation and God's grace. Secondly we limit God's grace to only the good and deserving people. We limit the grace to only the good and deserving people. So Jonah was limiting his grace to his own people, uh, not, uh, not to the evil people of Nineveh. He saw that it was okay for him to see this whole people group destroyed. And we talked about how our american nationalism can lead to racism and that's kind of what's going on in jonah's life here jonah says though he says salvation belongs to god but he didn't really believe it he was trying to pervert or limit god's salvation he failed to extend god's salvation to those he thought didn't deserve it now we don't i don't think we outrightly do that as drastically maybe as jonah does but i think we do to a certain extent and here's the principle I want you to see. As followers of Jesus Christ, we're called to—we're de- not called to determine if a person deserves his grace. We're called to extend his grace. And I think too often we, make, we say, well, they don't deserve it. They're too far gone. They're too wicked. We make up all these excuses. But that's not our job. Our job is to determine who is worthy of it because in the end, none of us is worthy of it. That's really what grace means. Grace and mercy means that we don't deserve it, and we can never earn it, and uh, that we don't deserve it. All right, here's the third thing that we want to see. We think that we're essential to God's plan of salvation, but we're not. For some of you, you're going to get upset. You're going to be angry about this. For some of you, you're going to be relieved by this. But I think it's absolutely biblically solid so Jonah Jonah's warning message to the people of Nineveh you know we're going to look at this next week in chapter 3 he's going to be preaching to the people of Nineveh and I think personally he did what he had to do it was one of the most lackluster sermons think of the worst sermon you've ever heard please don't think of this one okay but think of the worst sermon you've ever heard how the, the, the pastor put very little energy into it. He didn't seem like he prepared. He didn't seem like he cared. He wished he, wished he could be somewhere else. It seemed that way. And uh, you say, that was Jonah going through Nineveh. Jonah's walking through Nineveh, and he's begging, 40 days, and God's going to destroy you. 40 days, you know, you know. He's not putting a lot of energy into it. But you know what happened? The whole city repented. The whole city repented. Think of the boat. Remember the boat that that Jonah was on? They threw him off the boat, and immediately the storm was calmed. What did the sailors do? The sailors immediately bowed down and began to worship Yahweh, God. They they began to worship God. So here's the point. In spite of Jonah's preaching, in spite of it, people repented. The sailors didn't hear a word from Jonah of, of, of God, but they repented. See, the city, city of Nineveh and, the, and the, the sailors, they both repented because God was sovereign over the whole process. And here's what I want you to know God doesn't need us to bring people to himself, but he does graciously call us to bring a message of reconciliation. God doesn't need us to share the, his message of salvation. No one is going to be lost. Because you blew it. Because you messed up. Or because you failed to carry out out your calling. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Now, we have a responsibility. One day we're going to be held accountable. But ultimately, salvation is from the Lord, is of the Lord. All right, here's the next thing we want to talk about. How can we, in a positive way extend God's grace to others what are some practical things we can do to make the gospel more accessible to people around the people around us our sphere of influence all right well here's a couple things number one remember how how people reached out to you how how they reached out to us somebody in your life or maybe a group of people took a risk with you they explained God's salvation maybe they helped you with a question maybe they were the first person you ever met that was a Christian and you thought well I can't I can't dismiss Christianity because I've had this characterization of Christians they're all idiots but I've met you and you're you're not an idiot in fact you're a pretty nice person and you're a thoughtful person so I can't just dismiss that anymore. Maybe that's your influence. Maybe your influence is somebody's going through a difficult time and you come alongside them and you help them through and you point them to, to God. Maybe it's sharing the gospel with them. But you're you're part of the chain of people. Um, and, and if you look at your own life, there was a chain of people who were involved in helping you come to know Jesus. And And I always like looking at it, and this phrase, we use it around here quite a bit, hopefully we can be the person that helps another person take one step closer to Jesus, whatever that means. Because in in a lot of ways, there's a process that goes on. There's questions that have to be answered. There's relationships that have to be forged. And and there's that moment where we cross the line and we, we say, I don't just know you believe, now I believe. And God wants to use us for that. Look at this verse here in Ephesians. Look at what it says. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And I love that verse because it talks about our humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with people, putting up with things, showing just compassion and stuff. It's so important. Here's the second thing that will help us. Don't get bogged down by where people are or where people are now, okay? Um, too often, we want people to, we want to get people ready for the gospel. We feel like, well, we'll clean them up and get them ready. We've got to get them to quit this habit, and get them to stop doing that and start doing this and get them all fixed up. That's not our job and that's not the gospel. The gospel doesn't say, clean your life up and come to Jesus. The gospel says, come to Jesus with all your junk with all your crap, as you are, and then Jesus will begin doing a work in your life. And that's how it's worked in my life. It's probably how it's worked in your life. See, we're called to accept others. uh, And when we accept them, we lay a foundation that will affect them so that they can receive the gospel of salvation. That's why uh, Romans 15, 7 says this. Notice what it says. Notice what it says here. Accept one another just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Now, think about that. And I talked a little bit about this last week, but I just want to go over it again because I think this, many times Christians are missing this. There's a difference between acceptance and approval. You can accept somebody without approving of their lifestyle or different things that are going on in their lives. And, and I said this last week, and I think this is where it really hits dirt, pay dirt for me. As I look at this idea. God loves me and God loves you and he accepts you. But that doesn't mean that he approves of everything that I do or everything that you have done. And and I think that's really what's important. You can accept a person without approving of everything they do. And so it's really important that we understand that principle. Um, Nobody's going to... The point I want you to see here in this is this. That nobody's going to be lost because of an addiction or a sexual lifestyle or because they've, they've lived badly, they're going to be lost because they don't know Jesus. If, can, we just, can we just drill down and say the reason that a person is going to be lost forever is because they decide or they, they choose not to give their lives to Christ. That's it. It's not a lifestyle thing. It's not how bad they are. You can turn at any time. But our job is not to correct them or fix them. Our job is to introduce them to Jesus, the only one that can give them life. So that's really important. Here's the next thing I want you to see. Begin at the point of the person's felt need. Begin at the point of the person's felt need. Notice what Paul says in Romans. He says this, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, live in harmony with one another do not be proud but be willing to associate with people of low position do not be conceited (laughs) i think sometimes christians are some of the most conceited people on the planet (laughs) too often we don't meet people where they are we try to uh, take them where uh, we want them or we think they should be and instead we got to meet them where they are. A big part, and this is what I think is going on today, a big part of the tension that we're feeling, the racial tension that we're feeling in our country, even right now, is because we're not willing to listen. We're not, listen, we're not hearing what our black brothers and sisters have gone through and are going through. We're not hearing their fears. We're not hearing their hearts. And we, 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 we want to choose sides and One of the things I talked about this weekend on uh, Facebook was this. I talked about this idea of that we've got to get away from trying to win an argument. And we've got to start winning a heart. You'll never win a heart if you're not willing to listen to a person. And and, uh, empathize with them. And hear what they're going through. And listen to their fears. Listen to their struggles. Listen to their dreams. And I I think we're on such different pages in America today. It's an amazing thing. It's a tough thing. Um. Here's the, the phrase, you've, you've, you've heard this before, right? So there's the verse, do not be proud. But look at, you've heard this verse before. Nobody cares what you think until they know you care. And I know you've heard this before, but there's so much wisdom in that. Unless you care about a person. I've heard people who try to share a go- the gospel with somebody that they don't even know, they don't know anything about them. And they just say, oh, I'm just going to tell them. And if I, once I tell them, then I'm off the hook and they've had their chance. Really? Really? All right. So what do we take away today? I think there's three questions I want to close with. First one is this. Are you running from God? Are you running from God? If you're running from God, it's time to turn around. Today's the day. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Salvation is of the Lord. Today is the day of salvation if you're running from God. Number two, are you trying to earn your salvation? Listen, I was raised in a tradition where I was taught, follow the rules and rituals and regulations, go to church, believe in God, be a decent person, and you'll earn your way into heaven. Um, It doesn't work. That's not the gospel. It's not grace. It's not salvation. Um, There's a point where you have to say, okay, stop. That's not the gospel. Turn around and say, God, I am lost. I'm hopeless and helpless. And unless you come into my life and save me, I'm dead. And when you come to that point of helplessness, lostness, when you understand that you have nothing above you but the wrath of God, you're not pleasing God. The Bible says there's no one who seeks God. No, not what We've all sinned. We've all fall short of the glory. The wages of sin to death, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The good news is, but as many as received him who called on his name, he, he gave them the right to become children, sons and daughters of God. That's the way it works. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's a gift. Here's the third question. Are you limiting God's salvation by your words and your actions? It's time to get out of the way of the gospel, Christians. It's time to stop putting sanctification ahead at salvation. It's time to start just connecting with people and saying, God, how, do you, how can I help this person take one step closer to you? How can I help this person get to know who Jesus is? How can I help this person in their struggles? And it's going to take time and effort to do that. But it will never be wasted time. And I just want you to stop and think just for a moment as we close before prayer. Think of the people who took time in your life to connect with you, to share with you, to be real with you, to to come alongside you when you went through difficult times, to help you take that next step that you needed to take. It takes a bunch of people to come alongside. And may God help us this week to be that person and many other people's lives to help them take that one step closer to Jesus. Let me pray with you. So Father, thank you for Jesus and thank you for the gospel. Thank you that salvation is of the Lord. Help us to really believe that. And help us to take some of the passages we've looked at in the example of Jonah and learn how we can be better servants of you and uh, heralders of the true gospel we need your help father without that we can't do anything and thank you father that you sovereignly go ahead of us that you have a plan that you don't need us but you are glorified to use us so may we be your instruments of reconciliation In a world that so desperately needs it right now, we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.